Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. As a member state of the International Atomic Energy Agency, Iran must declare its nuclear facilities and open them to inspections on demand. It has been doing just that regarding many installations, but tried to hide an additional four. One of these has been leveled and sanitized. The IAEA insists on inspecting the other three, while Tehran denies that there are any undeclared nuclear materials and activities in Iran, as the head of its Atomic Energy Commission put it last week in Vienna, pointedly speaking in the present tense. What can and should be done about these undeclared sites, and would this issue derail the prolonged talks about a renewed deal between Iran and essentially the rest of the world? Joining us all the way from central Israel is Colonel Retired Dr. Iran Lerman, who is the co-host of TV7 Middle East Review, Powers in Play panelist, the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security Vice President and Editor-in-Chief of the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune. Thank you for joining us. Also joining us from another location in central Israel is Dr. Menachem el who is a research fellow at the Truman Institute at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. And also joining us here at the studio, as usual, is our TV7 editor-at-large, host of Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the issue pertaining to these outstanding probes by the IAEA and uh, why would Iran comply if it continues to claim that it, it's Talit Shekulat uh, Chelet uh, in Hebrew, we say, uh, outstanding member of the international community? Yes, snow pure. Indeed. Um, there are three sub-issues um, to the issue that uh, you are referring to. One, in general, is what does all of this have to do with the negotiations on the uh, Joint Comprehensive uh, Plan of Action with seven parties, the uh, renewal of the 2015 JCPOA, and nominally, ostensibly, there is no connection. Um, The IAEA is not a party to that deal, even though, of course, its inspectors are uh, taking part, the major part, in uh, verification. So, um, obviously, when uh, Iran negotiates, it wants uh, to put pressure or to dangle incentives in front of uh, the uh, other parties. And this is um, an an unofficial part of it. The other um, sub-issue is what really happened in the undeclared sites. Is it possible that uh, unbeknownst to uh, the Americans, the Israelis, the British, and the others, Iran has managed, um, especially um, uh, in weaponizing whatever uh, enriched uh, uranium it accumulated, and therefore that uh, the um, relatively optimistic timeline that uh, several intelligence agencies uh, have that is uh, about two years from D-Day, D-Day being the decision day by the Supreme Leader. So there is nothing to worry about. Even if, though we should 
put in light the fact that this is one school of thought. There are other school of thoughts that claim otherwise. Yes, but but we go by the official estimate of the Israeli uh, Directorate of Military Intelligence because Indeed. eventually you must choose one uh, particular assessment and act accordingly. And the other sub-issue, the last one, is Iran's credibility. If it lied about it, even uh, if it is later found that uh, nothing uh, malignant really happened, but it uh, tried to uh, bypass uh, the IAEA and then uh, to cover up uh, what it did, then, of course, um, it is going to influence everybody else's um, reasoning uh, and considerations regarding any future deal with it. Indeed. Dr. Leoman, I'd like to ask you uh, particularly on, on uh, the aspect of the outstanding probes. Uh, initially, uh, the, the nuclear archive, which was extracted out of Tehran by uh, the Mossad, uh, provided proof that there is indeed outstanding um, activities that have not been declared to the international community, something that Israel was also not aware about uh, at the time. Uh, this led, of course, to transfer of the material to the International Atomic Energy Agency, which then requested of Iran uh, to uh, investigate those sites. Iran refused at first, claiming it was political. Uh, there was the famous uh, picture or video of uh, the then foreign minister of Iran, Mohammad Javad Zarif, who jokingly said that it was a textile uh, farm uh, from uh, all other things. Uh, and then we saw that after uh, uh, unyielding demand by the IAEA, Iran ultimately opened those sites from which the specific uh, uh, undeclared nuclear materials were uncovered. And then we continued for roughly two and a half years, almost three years, in which the Iranians repeatedly provide answers to IAEA questions, and then repeatedly the IAEA says that those answers are technically not credible with everything that uh, is um, within the constellation of, of course, uh, nuclear physics. To what degree is this then a political issue if the fact of the matter is that the IAEA is not a political agency and nor does it have a mandate of such. Well, of course, the Iranians view Grossi and the IAEA as an American adjunct because they have been posing uh, demands to the Americans and to the other uh, participants in the uh, Vienna negotiations pertaining to IAEA activities. So uh, essentially, uh, um, a typical, in a typical fashion, they are treating an international agency as an adjunct of, of U.S. policy, um, which, of course, is absurd to those of us who know how uh, divergent uh, the IAEA has been from American positions on uh, in, in various points in history. At this moment, what is at stake is the very essence of the IAEA credibility as an institution. Because if under Iranian pressure, they settle for what they've been shown already, and they close, they would close the so-called PMD files, uh, possible military dimension files of, uh, of the Iranian nuclear project, 
then the IAEA essentially under pressure, under threat, under political uh, extortion will have uh, basically abandoned it abandoned, uh, irretrievably its core mission, which is to ensure uh, that there is no nuclear proliferation. It basically will betray uh, the NPT uh, uh, in, a, in a manner that can probably not be recovered. The, the PMD is at the very core of the entire issue because the JCPOA is based on the elegant uh, lie, the text of the uh, agreed procedures of the JCPOA, which is, we keep reminding ourselves, it's not an agreement. It's not something that America put pen to, to, uh, to paper on because otherwise it would have required ratification. But the text begins with the assertion of the Iranian um, lie that this is not a military project, but it is a military project. And therefore, this uh, un unresolved matter of the PMD is very much at the core of the argument with the Iranians and their demand uh, for term determination. I mean, the, the release of materials has been, I think, a way of telling Grossi, okay, we'll give you something, now shut up and close the files, which is not happening. Indeed. Of course, it was an executive order uh, that was backed by more than a third of Congress, which uh, then frustrated the ability of Congress to uh, veto the president's executive order. Uh, uh, nonetheless, I'd like to ask you, Dr. Menchavi, uh, there were 14 subsequent reports regarding the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, uh, i.e. The, the 2015 nuclear agreement. Those 14 reports would be rendered baseless if the outstanding issues would ultimately uh, surface something that is quite likely that the Iranians have undeclared nuclear materials and have been exercising undeclared activities behind closed doors. Yeah, I think I would like to address the question of, especially of what Iran did with the cancellation of the JCPOA. Um, and I think Iran went on, a, and that's typical of the, the Islamic Republic's foreign policy, to go in two tracks at the same time. So on, on one hand, uh, they uh, ran you know, forward with a program uh, being much less uh, supervised at that point. So that obviously let them the uh, freedom to move forward with the, with the program. And at the same time, they also uh, did it in order to, and that's the other benefit they got, other than just you know, moving forward with the program is to exact a price from the U.S. and the international community, uh, as if you know, waving it uh, and showing them, look, look what you've lost by uh, by canceling the uh, the program. So, um, again, without any inside knowledge, whether you know some of these sites or how many sites actually are uh, were not supervised or you know there were activities there uh, that the uh, the uh, you know the atomic uh, agency did not follow. I would say that Iran um, used to the to its best uh, in in the best way the fact that the agreement was was canceled. Indeed. Well, I'd like to raise a quote that was actually cited by uh, the response of Israel to the IAEA report. Uh, in the Board of Governors back in March. Uh, and it's a quote that goes back uh, to November 28th of last year, 
where the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps Brigadier General uh, Abul Fazel uh, Shekalchi, the spokesman of Iran's armed forces, uh, in a video that was posted on the Basij news website uh, or news agency, uh, he said the following, that his country's biggest goal is to remove the regime that occupies Jerusalem from the map. Uh, he went on to say that Iran considers the regime that calls themselves uh, Muslims, namely Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and the United Arab, uh, Arab Emirates, as helping this fake uh, Zionist regime, uh, in his quote, of course. And then he went on and emphasized that we will not back down even a single millimeter from our goal of erasing it from the geopolitical map of the world, even if we get chopped up into pieces. This is our biggest ideal. Such a regime, this is an official statement from a revolutionary regime that possibly behind the scenes and plausibly, more than possibly, is aspiring to attain nuclear weapon capabilities, something that ultimately, if indeed those outstanding probes uh, unveil or rather drive Iran out of the NPT to avoid being labeled as some uh, state that breached the NPT, may then acquire nuclear weapons and with this biggest ideal, obviously this is something that concerns Israel, concerns the United States, but also the international community. What is being done in order to curtail these aspirations uh, at the present? So Jonathan, you uh, bring to mind the, the old uh, tale about the boy who comes home from school and says to his mother, mom, um, I believe uh, Jack uh, wanted to hit me. And she asked him, how do you know? He said, because he hit me. Uh, yes, we should take very seriously uh, such uh, threats by uh, military spokespersons because obviously uh, they reflect uh, at least contingency planning by uh, these uh, military authorities. And of course, in Iran, you have uh, two militaries competing uh, with each other, the Atesh, the, the uh, regular Army, uh, Navy and Air Force, and uh, the uh, Revolutionary Guards. But nevertheless, decisions are, make, are being made by the Supreme Leader and executed uh, by the government. And Who controls both yes, of organizations. So, so, and this is, of course, the difference between other nuclear powers who have the uh, capability of uh, destroying Israel every moment uh, of the day, but have no intention of doing so, and Iran, which have which has declared intentions, but not yet any capability, and Israel is dead set against letting it, uh, doing it. On the other hand, uh, many countries have uh, various uh, voices being heard in order to put pressure on negotiations. This should not uh, cause Israel, as he did, uh, President Trump and Secretary Pompeo, to um, uh, revoke the deal. Uh, the deal is really, and it is a deal because it sanctions relief against uh, stopping uh, the nuclear effort. It's really uh, relief for retreat. Sanctions relief against going back from whatever Iran has accumulated. So again, um, one should not uh, uh, look uh, lightly on such uh, threats. There is no other member state of the United Nations, let alone of the IAEA, threatening another member with annihilation. 
Um, and we wouldn't want uh, to uh, wake up uh, one morning in the ashes of Israel with one uh, guy telling the other, you know something, you were right. Uh, we should have taken them seriously. But uh, I can think of a few others. Yes. Yemen holding the same banner as the Islamic Republic of Iran, Syria holding the same banner, Lebanon today. Yes, but uh, but they are um, powerless. Same target. Yes, pow powerless uh, mm -hmm. relative to, to Iran. So yes, um, it's a two-track effort. One should be vigilant and um, plan against the day. And um, at the same time, try to defuse the crisis diplomatically. Indeed. Dr. Lerman, I'd like to hear your response on this. You probably focused on we get chopped up into pieces as uh, one option along the way. Well, uh, this was a very uh, far-reaching uh, affirmation of something we've known for a long time. Um, for reasons having to do with the utter failure of the Iranian revolutionary regime to deliver any measure of better life for the Iranian people. What we are seeing in the streets now is just a reflection of that failure. Um, they have focused on being in the business of destroying Israel as the great legitimizing factor uh, for the regime. So this, this has become central to who they are and what they stand for. And once they have a military, a deliverable nuclear military capability, the pressure uh, to use it at least, let's say, as an umbrella for a consistent effort by Iran's proxies, such as Hezbollah uh, and others, to Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza, etc., to actually go after Israel uh, and, and at the same time deter Israel from any effective response. All of this could be highly destructive, even if they don't just sit up one morning and, and launch a nuclear attack. But so the, the danger is very real, it runs very deep. But uh, to, in response to uh, Amir's observation, I would say that what links the diplomatic effort and the readiness to confront the danger militarily is that an effective military threat, a credible military threat, is actually, and this is what Prime Minister uh, Lapid said in his uh, speech to the UN, is the key to any effective strategy. Uh, in fact, I, I can borrow this uh, uh, quote from uh, none else but the head of the present head of the CIA, Bill Burns, who wasn't the the lead among the lead negotiators with Iran, going back to the time of Ahmadinejad in 2013. And in his chapter dealing with Iran, he does quote, surprisingly, George F. Cannon to the effect that a solid military threat in the background makes the life of diplomats much easier. And, uh, and this is the case here. A credible military threat that the Iranians would come to believe would actually materialize if they don't turn around is the only possible key to the uh, success of effective negotiations for a longer, stronger, and more effective deal. The present situation uh, uh, leads in a very dangerous direction. Dr. Merhavi, do, do the Iranians at this stage regard the rhetoric coming out from Jerusalem and elsewhere as constituting a CMTU, true credible military threat? 
I, I, I don't know about that because uh, they, you know, I, I do not see any expressions of, uh, let's say, pressure on the Iranian side in this regard. What has pressured Iran in recent years has been uh, all these mysterious ex explosions and assassinations, some of which uh, have been, uh, uh, let's say, Israel, uh, according to foreign sources, has been deeply involved in. Um, and, uh, and, and they have definitely eroded a lot of the, I would say, aura of uh, bravado of the, uh, of the Revolutionary Guards, especially even the, the Quds Force. Um, and in that sense, I do see a, a certain connection, not a direct connect connection, of course, between the riots now in Iran, uh, which started, of course, something completely different by, by this uh, young lady who was uh, brutalized by the revolutionary, by uh, besieges and, uh, and killed because not wearing the hijab properly. But I do see a certain indirect connection between these riots and um, and the situation that we're talking about, uh, because if if one thing you can say with some certainty is that the uh, image of the Revolutionary Guards, uh, not to mention the other armed forces of Iran, has been deeply eroded by these actions. You know, the killing of Soleimani seemed to be beyond touch, and. Uh, and the fact that the person who stepped into his shoes is, uh, to say the least, much less impressive. Um, so all of that together with, with numerous other actions, you know, Rakhwizadeh, and you can go on and on, these have, uh, I think, have convinced Iranians that their government, even in, in something that it's so ideologically committed to, like, uh, you know, pushing Israel to the wall, is is actually quite uh, inept, is, is, uh, is, is uh, you know, uh, is not really capable of. And if that, if they're not capable of that, why would they be capable of telling millions of Iranian women how to wear their scarf? Indeed. Well, uh, Mr. Oh, Ohn, I'd actually get, like to yeah. ask you uh, very quickly, as we don't have very much time. Doesn't matter. I'll, I'll respond uh, Whatever regard, you regardless of your You're a politician. Uh, well, uh, I'd like to ask regarding the fact of the matter is the Ayatollah regime is on borrowed time. Uh, however we look at it, its current state of of governance and its ability to control the masses in Iran is diminishing by the day. Uh, with that being said, if we look at the early 90s, we saw the apartheid regime in, in uh, uh, South Africa uh, come out and unveil that it has actually a stockpile of nuclear warheads and then invited the IAEA to come and uh, dispose of those, knowing that it is on borrowed time and that the next regime uh, is not a regime that they would like to possess those nuclear weapons. Uh, is this something that we can expect from Iran? Well, the uh, similarity has to do with the, um, the regime uh, in, in uh, Johannesburg, in Pretoria, and in Tehran, uh, that uh, the main aim of both uh, is survival. Survival not of the state, but survival of the regime itself. And as long as the uh, South Africans believed that the main danger to them comes from uh, Soviet or Cuban-backed uh, forces uh, in neighboring countries such as Angola. They believed that uh, having nuclear weapons, and indeed they had uh, six warheads uh, by the time uh, they tried, they uh, decided to dismantle them, that uh, this will deter or fend off uh, outside attack. But they knew that they could not protect the regime from the uh, black majority in South Africa, so it was pointless. Um, the Iranians believe 
that uh, if they are able to deter outside intervention, because in their conspiracy theories, it is always the West, the British, the Americans, the Israelis, um, who are fomenting uh, dissent there, that there is uh, no sincere opposition uh, within the country, which of course we see um, is not uh, true, then uh, this is why they, they aspire um, to have nuclear weapons. But just one word regarding what Iran Lerman Shortly. said. We all know that if we put a fork in a power socket, we will be electrocuted. But if we believe that the power is off, we may try to take a risk. The credible military threat has to do with credibility, which lies in the height of the beholder. If the Iranians don't believe that President Biden will order a strike, then it doesn't matter that the US has so many uh, nuclear warheads. They will not be deterred. Dr. Lelman, uh, Dr. Merchavi, I'd like to ask you, both of you very quickly, and each of you have about 40 seconds to answer. Uh, is the nuclear deal dead, or are the Americans so adamant and so unyielding that they are willing to engage in uh, such an arrangement uh, absent any considerations about the medium to long-term consequences? I believe that the Biden administration is attentive to uh, the Iranian threat. It is not delusional about Iran being uh, a partner. And it is looking very carefully at the evidence. So uh, Israeli efforts to uh, change or move the needle on the negotiations have gained some ground. And that's my uh, impression. And in any case, it is certainly dead until after the uh, uh, midterm elections, after which the political scene in uh, Washington may preclude any further progress. Dr. Melchavi? I would say, uh, agreeing with, with uh, Dr. Lerman, but in a different way, I would say that I see less enthusiasm uh, in the U.S. to reach a deal, uh, which has to do with two things. One is, I think President Biden has less of a I would say, a uh, uh, power bank than uh, President Obama had in his time, less popularity maybe, less legitimacy to reach such an agreement. Uh, and also, I do think that, uh, and again, these, these uh, riots, which kind of popped out of a different direction, they do play a certain role in the sense that they uh, make such a deal less um, lucrative to the U.S. Uh, to shake the hands of the, the people who uh, lead such repression. Mr. Owen? Uh, we started our discussion with the IAEA. Of course, it has a role, but it will be uh, mostly a technical one in verification. Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Dr. Lehrman, Dr. Melchavi, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.